0: hello 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 again to all the gang out there in aprimo land and welcome back to another episode of marketing cheat codes i'm your co-host sam chapman heading up content and comms here at aprimo joined as always by our host and cmo ed brialt ed who are we talking to today peter nelson he runs strategic partnerships for
1: templify one of our valued technology partners here at aprimo they are a next gen document generation platform that automates all business document creation
0: across organizations and activates uh, and protects their brands. Yeah, this is a a great one uh, for anyone out there in the audience dealing with content lifecycle optimizations, brand marketing, um, any kind of automation, uh, and those really looking to leverage the advances in tech that we've been seeing lately to scale up the the good content that fuels uh, results and good customer experiences. For sure. We get into
1: setting the bar for minimum viable content or mvc i don't know did we just create a new acronym i think we did absolutely it's just the jumping off point your base camp to ascending to great content heights it's not good enough to just get to base camp just look at everest and the litter overflowing
0: at their staging sites oh man that's such a good point um yeah and then you take things like the you know emergence of ChatGPT on the scene, and then the quality and compliance issues that go into that. Um, Not only do you have uh, kind of a garbage abundance issue, but now you need a path to sift through that and get get efficiencies across every stage of your content supply chain.
1: Absolutely new problems to solve here. It's all about human-powered automation, or as I like to call it, human amplification, which Nelson says, is your
0: company's greatest asset, and no machine is going to replace that. Wise word for the cheat code audience. Uh, No fans of Skynet here. So let's get into it, uh, Ed, and I'll catch you on the flip side. Here we go.
1: Hello, folks. Welcome to another episode of Marketing Cheat Codes. I'm your host, Ed Brial and CMO at Primo i uh, really excited to have an Aprima partner and uh, somebody who's got a really interesting background. Uh, we were just talking about triathlon before we jumped on here, but then also we're going to get into um, all things automation, what that means for businesses, for uh, for files, for documents, and then also what it means going forward.
2: Uh, Peter Nelson, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ed. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, thank you for for the invitation. Good to kick off on on some common ground around triathlon, so uh, yeah, we will have to uh, we'll have to grab some coffee and talk about that more later. Absolutely,
1: yeah. I mean, we've I've actually had some folks on the pod before who were also triathletes, and uh, it's a really interesting connection that we've made, you know, as it relates to to marketing and technology and this idea of like needing to have multiple disciplines that you put all together and um, you know, sort of a, a magical uh, mixture of sorts with transition points and pivots and like we're doing today, you know, we're pivoting to, uh, what the, uh, the world throws at us, uh, (laughs) macroeconomics, you know, the headwinds of the world. Um, even if those weren't there, there's always challenges in marketing and technology and, um, you know, humans in technology working together. So, um, that there's always, you know, a parallel there with like triathlon and, um, and what we're going to talk about today.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Business is uh, ultimately a function of a lot of things coming together, and all the all the different chains uh, working working properly, and, and everyone doing their part. And so the same thing in triathlon, you got to take care of of each of them for for the whole whole race to come together in a nice way. So so definitely some some good parallels there. And also just on on the effort, I think we're all looking into the market right now, especially if you work if you work in tech, you got to be disciplined, you got to be focused on your processes, you got to. You got to put in the work, and and so that's that's also a transition that that we're really working with, looking into to to the market and trying to find the right ways and the right approaches to to all clients, so we can help them be successful and ultimately be successful ourselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Peter, um, you're with Templify now and a Prima partner, but uh, talk to me a little bit about you, and let's uh, expose the audience to uh, a little bit about your career arc, how you got started, and of course, right now you're. Uh, you know, partner, you're leading partnerships, business development, and uh, take me a little bit back to the beginning with you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I have a bit of an unusual background, but if we start with the the map behind you, there's a very tiny spot, uh, which is where I'm from and it's it's Denmark. So yeah. I'm actually, I'm sitting in one world trade right now over here in New York. So Tempify has been graciously uh, offering me the opportunity to move here. So uh, that's definitely very exciting. Um, but yeah, if we went back to, to, to Denmark and, and growing up there, I've been I've been studying at uh, Copenhagen Business School. I have a yeah. master degree in finance and economics. I've been very into, into the numbers and statistics, and I had a had a dream about getting a big career in banking. It didn't go that way. Uh, some might say that I was lucky, but uh, but I don't know. I never tried it, but um, I definitely have had some exposure in my work with the industry. It's definitely a very exciting industry that we also follow quite closely. But I, I actually started my career as a, as a I started in sales actually as a retail salesperson for a big Swedish brand, Jay Lindenberg. And then yeah. worked my way through um, various jobs. So worked as investment analyst. Then I got a job at at Deloitte after coming back from University of Texas, where I did some MBA stuff. Um, and the first time in in Deloitte is really where I started getting like exposure to processes, automation, those some of those topics that we're going to be be working on today. And my primary focus was banks and financial institutions. So I really got yeah. an opportunity to get into the engine room of back office processes and documents and, and all those, all those things where that just takes up a lot of time, a lot of brain power and designing and architecting various processes and and new ways of working. So, so that's kind of where I have developed the toolbox that I'm definitely applying today with our clients to help them understand their own processes and how they can work with, uh, with automation, how they can work with our technology to, to be more productive. Um, Yeah. And then I took that, all of that knowledge, I then took that to, to Bank so one of the mm-hmm. large financial institutions, the leading financial institution yeah. in Denmark, I spent around three and a half, four years there and worked various various roles. So I worked with retail strategy and, and the expansion across the Nordic countries. At one point, I also worked with fraud, anti-money laundering, some of those very important, very complex topics, a lot of regulation, a lot of things that you got to work into your processes and that you got to think about uh, when you work with your clients. So had a lot of um, um, kind of Exposure to strategy, process, um, execution, project management, those kind of things. And I wanted to get exposure to, I wanted to get closer to clients, essentially. I was very far, far away from clients. I was typically two, three steps away from clients. And I think ultimately, it's interesting to go and meet with clients and and hear what's on their mind and and transform your business to to meet their needs. So I wanted to get a little bit closer to, I guess, what you could call sales business development and... (laughs) met, met Emil, who's the CRO here at Tempify. And we had a good conversation mm-hmm. about some of those things. We, we also talk about like discipline, ethic, uh, hard work and, and driving things forward and getting people excited. Um, so we, uh, we agreed that I should come over and help him build up the partnership organization. Been working on that for the last year and a half have been very fortunate to work with, with a Primo also in that journey. I think we still have a lot of exciting things to, to work on in terms of expanding our product, expanding our vision together, uh, particularly for for automation and for eliminating manual work. I think there's a lot of great topics to, to unpack for us there and for our joint clients. So, yeah. so that's what we're working on now. And now here in the US, I work a lot with our business development uh, organization to train ourselves on listening to clients, helping them understand their own processes and, and how we can fit in to that ecosystem of technology to ultimately help them do more of what matters to them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I mean, Templify plays a very key role within uh, the content lifecycle. Um, and so for folks that don't know uh, Templify, can you give the quick elevator pitch or you know, key offering products that you have? Yeah.
2: The, so so essentially the quick and dirty on Templify is that we're a document generation platform. So think about any kind of manual process or manual labor that you are doing with documents today, whether you actually work in marketing, whether you work in sales, in HR, legal, everyone has a touch point with a document because ultimately the knowledge work that we do, we have to document that somehow. In that process, there is a lot of waste. There is a lot of risk. And our job is to help one, eliminate that manual document work as we say. And then two, at the same time, ensure that we take care of the quality, right? We want to deliver the right messaging and our content to to our prospects. We want to make sure that our uh, contracts look right and look great. We want to make sure that our legal disclaimers and, and other guarded assets are taken care of, right? So we try to eliminate work that doesn't have to be there so we can focus on what matters while taking care of the quality, ensuring we're compliant, and ultimately delivering a better experience for those that are engaging with our content.
1: Love that. Yeah. I mean, documents are only growing and um, you know this idea of how automation plays a part in it is something very interesting. Uh, Let's talk about automation a little bit. Um, When you look at, you know, the world of automation and it's, you know, when we look at it throughout the course of time, it's essentially been this concept of like technology taking over the work that humans have done before. Why? Well, it's because they don't need to do it anymore. Sort of how I see it. We get to this point now where we can outsource parts of, you know, In a knowledge worker setting, of course, is what we're talking Uh about—automation, not so much uh, manufacturing automation. We're talking about uh, automation of knowledge work um, and information. Um, We're in this constant um, sort of evolution of wanting uh, humans wanting to outsource to uh, technologies, emerging technologies, artificial intelligence. We'll talk about that a little bit here too with uh, generative AI,
2: which is. We're all like everyone is a little mind blown.
1: <laughs> uh, mind blown, eyes are wide. What's going on? We'll get there. Uh, but when you look at uh, you know the this idea of of automation, um, how do you think that's going to continue to to move us forward here in the next uh, several you know several years? Like what's the what's on the horizon for us?
2: Well so let me let me take a quick step back here. So when I was in college, when I was in ver- university, you know I had this grand idea of me coming out to the workplace to solve big problems, you know, spend time with my colleagues on on the whiteboard solving solving complexities and helping drive things forward, right? And what what was the reality was that I spent so much of my time in PowerPoint and in Word. And I didn't go to college to do that. Right? So I but think her- with the way that the world has evolved over time, you know there's a lot of angles to this. There's the war for talent, there is you got to be more productive. You have a macro environment that's collapsing around us, if you will. So I think for for us, at least, the way we we look at at automation and the way forward is that we're really trying to make automation practical. We're trying to make it meaningful, right? So as a knowledge worker, you have a purpose. You're coming to work every day to to fulfill a purpose and to to, to deliver an outcome. Uh-huh. But between the knowledge work that you're actually carrying out, the analysis that you're doing, the research that you're doing, the conversations you have with client, the conversations you have with colleagues there is so much manual document labor before you can get to your outcome. So what, what we think about when we think about automation, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to zoom in on those, um, that manual piece of work. And how can we take that away? How can we take out those minute things that aren't necessary for us to actually do because it doesn't create any value. And then instead free up time to focus on what matters, which is let's put 10, 10 minutes or half hour or an hour more into that piece of research so that we might stand out from the crowd. Or let's just spend another couple of meetings to stand and check that we got the right process here. Those are, that's the value that a knowledge worker can can bring to the entity and to the business. But the obstacle is just all this document work. And in that automation, when you just start automating things, and we'll get to that when we start start talking chat GPT too, but if you just automate without putting the right technology and, and guardrails rails in place, you're putting yourself at risk because just because we automate things, we still got to take care of various policies, various guidelines that business leaders across the company wants to protect, right? So if you're a head of brand or you're a CMO like yourself, you want to make sure that everything we put out there, it follows our guidelines, it follows our principles. If you are the head of security or a CISO, you want to make sure that metadata is in there and that documents Mm -hmm. are labeled so you can track them across the ecosystem. So when we think about automation, first and foremost, we try and think about Making it practical, making it have a real impact for human beings that come to work every day, trying to to make a difference and give them more time to make that difference. Because ultimately humans are your greatest asset. You got to let them, you got to set them free. You got to give yeah. them the time to do more work. So I think that's really where we um, we try to, to help clients um, go towards and move towards is to be really practical about it. It doesn't have to be crazy advanced. There are some very simple things. Um, that you can do and I' have some anecdotes that that I can share with you in a minute but but that's essentially how we think about it
1: I love that too and there's so much consideration for the human in the in in that, that equation right there when you think about just purely the people aspect what when you when we automate what's important to consider to uh you know to keep the human I'll call it first in in some of automation um, potential to um, you know, obviously we don't want to disintermediate humans completely um, I know folks are like oh okay um, well they're coming after my- technologys coming after my job but what I've seen is like just sort of the line of ownership between technology and the human just sort of pushes in a direction like you still need the human there and so it's not so much uh, replaced but um, repositioned is how I see that line but how do you see when you're when you're looking to automate the right things to automate sort of the line between the technology and the human,
2: what's sort of what's at play right there? So I think, I mean, there's the, for me, there's like the, there's the employer angle and then there's the, the, the employee angle. So if you think about the, the employer first, right, we talked about this before, war for talent, how do you get people in? How do you attract people that want to come to work and, and, okay. and be part of your journey and be part of your company? And as a as an employer, you're getting evaluated on a lot of things: your culture, your your brand, your product, your career paths that you can offer. But what you're also starting to see is that you get measured on the employee experience in terms of daily operations. Right? If if I'm coming over from a place where we have all the right tech in place, we have processes where we we have what well, we have technology that help us automate processes that are not value creating. I'm going to compare that to my new employer and see, hey. Yeah, this is not up to speed, right? So it actually, there's the one angle where it starts to become a mechanism of attracting and, and maintaining talent because they they get to do what they're fundamentally good at, which is being okay. creative. And that's the one, that's the other angle. That's the one thing that I don't think technology can replace. Technology, some will argue differently with me if they uh, if they went to MIT and they're very scientific, I'm sure they will, but I just don't think that technology can replace human creativity because human creativity is unpredictable. It takes different shapes and form depending on what people you put in which rooms, in what settings. So human creativity is the one thing you can't replace. And for us and for, for our clients, it's about unlocking more time for human creativity. Mm-hmm. That's how you're going to drive your business forward. That's how you're going to spot market opportunities and be able to be agile and execute on that. That's how you find new ways of attracting talent or whatever it is that you're engaged with as a knowledge worker. So so for, for me, there's like two angles to that. How can you leverage technology and automation as an employer to create a more attractive workplace where there is time for creativity? And again, how can you, how can you not replace people through automation, but actually free up time to do more value creating work? Okay. So I'm not saying that automation in some locations won't lead to us having, maybe we don't necessarily need to have as many people or we don't need to hire as many people. We could do more with what we have. That's great too, but fundamentally, it's not about just replacing people. It's about freeing up time for value adding work and unlocking yeah. that human creativity.
1: I love that. I mean, that's such a cheat code for uh, talent acquisition or you know, growing uh, human capital at your business. Which is, you can really attract the top top tier if your your technology, your automation, uh, your your operation is high high quality, advanced and opens up more more free time for that talent to do what they're truly passionate about what technology can't ultimately replace which is the most authentic piece of an employee and its great creative output
2: yeah and i mean i think it's one of the reasons so we did a we did a study of around 2200 full-time employees around the globe that that work with knowledge work, and roughly like 42% of them said we will have to work with, with document automation. And it, it is for some of these reasons that we we're just talking about here. BDO, one of our most prominent clients, they're all over the world. What they have actually, they, they hired us to actually do automation and drive efficiencies. But what they found was that the, one of the really big impacts was that it was so much easier for them to attract talent because of the way they work. It's so much time spent on more value creating um, conversations with clients, with employees, problem solving. Delivering good services, standing out from the crowd. So what they really found was a significant benefit in their ability to attract talent. So that's super interesting. And then one of our other, so one of the conversations we had with an investment bank here in in New York was, you know how it is. well, you've heard the stories of what it is to be an analyst. I think uh, if you read on various firms, you'll understand that being an anal- an analyst in an investment bank, being an associate, it's it's hard work. It's a lot of hours. And I think what you have seen is particularly during COVID and pre post pandemic is that everyone has just struggled to get back into that rhythm, putting all those hours out. And then you have the tech industry that's been rising and attracting all the talent. And I just think the employees just fundamentally, they burn out. They disagree. Well, they do not want to work all those hours. They want to do things that are more fun, like putting more emphasis on the analysis, the research so that they can stand out from all the other investment banks that are in the market. Mm -hmm. So in our conversation with them was like, Hey, what do you have going on here in terms of processes is a bit of a, like it's old school. It's a dinosaur. There's no automation. Everything is manual. They're creating the same. So tombstones is such a good example. It's one of the most prominent assets in investment banking pitch books. It's like, that's where they show the world how good they are. That thing they're just creating over and over and over again. And and when I say practical automation, I'm talking about automate that stuff because it's not, it's not value adding that we sit and do those things. Let the analyst spend more time in Excel crunching numbers or doing more research on other businesses that are similar to that, and whatever, just automate that stuff. And so what we said to them is, hey, you, if you work with us, if you invest with us and invest in your automation of these processes and this manual work, you're going to create an employee experience that's going to be way more attractive than your than your peers, right? Because we take away all the mundane stuff, everything, the yeah. stuff that they have to sit and do on weekends or in the evenings. So again, this is an outlier case, right? Because investment banking is extreme but it also has that employee experience angle it's much more fun to 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 come to work when you can automate some of that mundane stuff that creates zero value for anyone
1: and i would say for for like top levels of talent where that sort of mundane thing probably creates a, an extreme level of stress and like anxiety because they've what they've done is they push it off or they're going to have to do it at night and they're they're competing over sort of like personal time there i know personally i've been there too um So now, as you think about sort of the connected enterprise, uh, what's important to think about when automation uh, um, meets integration or interconnectedness, sort of systems working together? How do you think about the uh, sort of the take the 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 system, the entire system of an enterprise? Why is it so important for it to work uh, together?
2: I like to operate from a principle of like simplicity, right? So so. We have to look at what is our purpose? What is our desired outcome? So if you look at a sales organization, the outcome is sales, right? And and what's the process to get there? There's client conversations, there's putting together your proposal, you're gonna do your pitch, you're gonna do all these things. Uh, at the same time over in another organization, something else is going on, HR, legal, they're all doing the same thing, but they're all bound by some of the same policies that live inside this corporation, whether it's a security policy, it's a legal policy about disclaimers and other things, right? And when you add geographies to that, complexity expands Uh, if you add more business lines and multiple brands the complexity is enormous and instead of trying to build a really complex and very very highly connected tech stack you actually got to try and simplify that tech stack as much as possible and find the right solutions and the right um deployments to manage your policies manage your guidelines at scale while automating work right so find platforms that that are interoperable so Primo Templify, obvious example, right? So there's a lot of automation in a Primo's uh, a platform, obviously, geared towards marketeers. And there's also digital asset management. They're very good, right? So we interoperate with that. The, the digital asset management space is a great place to work for, for branded marketeers, for external agencies that you're working with. But the end user is not necessarily, that's not necessarily the best place to work for them because their work is carried out in PowerPoint and in yeah. Word and in Excel. So how do you build a system that, connects those applications with the repositories where content best live and where policies are best governed, that's what you got to think about. So more is not great, less is more, and getting those things connected so that you can manage your policies at scale, whether that's our brand guidelines, or it's our security policies, or it's something else. Um, And then of course, systems have to talk to each other, but above all, it has to be simple And don't try and operate and manage your brand across five or 10 different platforms, you're not going to be successful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You increase your, uh, complexity quotient there. And I like that. I mean, you describe, it's like, I call it like the end point of where value is created. It's actually in the hands of the human. That's, that's where, you know, it, it really matters to have, um, connectedness back to, uh, systems of record and interoperability, um, yeah, love that sort of visual you painted now um now we're i don't know maybe 2023 could be i'll call it the year of generative ai or you know we just we saw a chat gpt launch and it's like dwarfing a lot of other digital properties it's got everybody talking um it, it can do some amazing things scary things <laughs> um terrifying things for some um you know, but at the same time, it's like, you know, if you look back about how how automation has taken over, it's, we've always sort of, it, I call it, it like moves the line. It moves the line of where we add value. Um, so what are your thoughts on initial impressions of this generative AI, like chat GPT? And how do you see that potentially impacting uh, some of the folks that you, you know, you work with or just the market as a whole?
2: Yeah. So as with as with any technology, so my first and foremost impression with ChatGPT is I'm overwhelmed. Like the amount of things you can do with that type of technology, and you're starting to see startups and technologies sprinkle up everywhere based off of off of that. And obviously Microsoft is in there making the bid for it, so yes. it can it it can do things right. And my key. Whenever I approach new technology and new inventions, and if there's something that sounds a little bit too good to be true, I always try and think about what what are the risks here, right? So I have no doubt that it can be incredibly powerful. A lot of automation can be achieved, but but we, as with any technology, we got to use it the right way. So there there are two th- key things for me that I consider when I when I look at a technology like ChatGPT is let's not use the technology to to do things that are actually what what we are where we're actually meant to use our human creativity. We can use it as a supportive means to to do some research and and get uh, fast answers on, on questions. But if I'm making a proposal to a client or if I'm working on, on a pitch somewhere, I don't want some robot to do that work for me because this is my time to synthesize what this client has told me, how I am going to pitch that to the client, how I'm going to make them see the value. It's the same thing. If you, if you give chat GBT to high school students and going to have them write their essays, they're never going to be any smarter. And I kind of feel a little bit the same way about my professional work and my colleagues' professional work and any others is, okay, there are certain parts that we should be automating, some of the non-value adding, some of the mundane stuff that we talked about, but then there are certainly things that you shouldn't be automating because that's where your creativity really comes to, to power, right? And GPT, I don't think can replace that, at least not in in all parts. Mm-hmm. The other component is, sorry, the other component is The amount of scale you can achieve from from ChatGPT is also a little bit frightening, right? If I'm a brand owner, if I'm a security policy owner, if I am owner of some kind of guideline that I have to enforce across a company, I would be afraid of letting my people loose on ChatGPT and and using it for content generation and other things because what ChatGPT has not learned yet is what a premium branded messaging is and what you want to say to clients and what you certainly do not want to say to clients. But when people start getting automation tools in their hands, they also lose their sanity check, right? yeah. so there there's some there has to be some guardrails in there. And uh, you know I we're starting to look at it also as a company and see how can we use this? How can we take it into our technology and actually build be productive with it? But within the guardrails of following our brand standards, following our tone of voice, following the messaging that we want to get across because the moment you just start letting people lose, they will lose sight of what we actually are and what we're trying to communicate and for what reasons. Uh So don't take away that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've been in there. So I I jumped on board and I've been doing a lot of experimentation with it. I've had some sessions where I quite literally got a little bit disoriented with the world after having gone, you know, used it, went through several iterations. I found out a few things. I found out its output's can only be as good as the inputs that you give it. So those inputs are—it's almost like it's a new skill of sort of whispering to the prompts. H- how you put it in there, how it forms a response, uh, and then how you then—I'll call it—play, um, you know, iterative back and forth with it to evolve your p- your whatever that you know result set um, is. That's a whole new skill set, to so to be able to ask the right questions to get what you're looking for. I found is like a new human skill set, a new brain uh, sort of wiring that's that's happening too. Um, And then another thing is like you know I looked at, you know, if I wanted to write a blog post or some long form content, it'll do that. And you throw in your concepts, you can even put in your research piece. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, some research that you have here as well. You could put in specific research pieces and it will come back. And what I'm thinking it's doing is it's setting a new bar of minimally acceptable good where actually the human might be, we can create bad content as humans. Absolutely. There's a ton of bad content out there.
2: What this is doing, (laughs) it's like
1: leveling the playing field across all content that's created To sort of create the starting point of a level that's generally acceptable as good, but not great, not unique, not personal to the brand. Uh, Those are my two my two main sort of takeaway observations so far.
2: Yeah, and I think there's something about the point of I mean, we typically said garbage in, garbage out. I have worked a lot with data, so when when I worked in fraud and AML, we worked a lot with machine learning, uh, which is you know a little, it's quite advanced too, right? So one of the f- most fundamental problems was that the data quality we had was just so bad, right? So if you put bad data into a system, you're going to get bad bad results out. That's just a fact of life. And same thing with a platform like Apremo or a platform like Templify. If you put the wrong assets in and you configure it in the, in the wrong way, you're not going to get great right. results. So you got to go and spend the time on getting the right data and the right pieces of content in the platform, because then you can have amazing results. And then you actually unlock new proportions of scale and things you can achieve with your content. For example, because you're inhibited by, if you don't have technology, you're inhibited by the amount of things you can get done and the amount of complexity you can manage just manually and and with human brain power, right? So you need technology to help you manage scale. But in order to reap the benefits of that, you have to put the right things into the machine. You got to feed the right things because otherwise it's not, it's not going to work out. You're going to just have bad results. And so similarly that's a really good exercise it's like how do we ask the right questions and it's something that we also work a lot with with our client teams and consulting teams is like how do we ask the right questions to the client because that's fundamentally how you drive those conversations and you get the right in, you know output that we can then synthesize and use uh to 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 build great outcomes for the clients yeah. but it's a good it's a good it's a good observation about inputs and outputs they're highly correlated you can't put bad things bad things in and we expect to get good results. It doesn't work yeah
1: like that. Yeah, I've definitely it's the the speed, sort of the cycle time, um, to get I'll call it variations or variants of what you can't it can't automate, which is I'll call it a, a best practice of anything in content marketing, which is a testing and you know A B testing, multi-variant testing. You still have to put content out in market and the market will then let you know like what it's responding to and what's better. I could see it helping with the variations of a subject line or body copy or um you know potentially even um uh you know formats but uh, yeah you still like the market testing that scientific approach to interacting with your audience it, it can't do yet so uh curious to see where that goes um
2: yeah i mean t- technology companies have to look at this they have to look at this technology and take it serious obviously so it's, it's, it's going to be a question and also probably a little bit of an arm's race to figure out how do we best take advantage of this technology and then make good use of it. Right? So what we're trying to, to do is like, we're trying to protect the brand. We're trying to protect policies. How can we make use of, of the, the engine, so to say, so that it plays within those guardrails and actually do what we want them to do.
1: Absolutely. Now you've got a great uh, piece of research content is everything. Uh, I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, the this idea of um, you know you know automation helping with the content life cycle. There's some really great stats in there around what is good content, uh, where content is wasted. Are there any key takeaways you want to share with the audience on this re- piece of research? And we'll you know we'll definitely share it uh, as well in the show notes.
2: Yeah. So I think one of the um... One of the really interesting things is, is for me is, is around like the content life cycle, right? Because as you just said before, there's so much content out there. There's also a lot of, there's a lot of good content. There's a lot of bad content, but I think the estimations were that, you know, content can be relevant for up to, to 26 months. Uh, and that's a pretty long time. A lot of things can change in that period of time. And so if you don't have technology in place to help you leverage, or sorry, help you manage that content, you're gonna be in trouble because that backward management of your content that's all out there and is living out there, how do you manage that? How do you update that? So that content lifecycle, I think fifty-five percent or fifty-six percent of those enterprise employees that we talked to agreed that the backward compatibility of your content was one of their greatest concerns. Because there's so much it out there. If you don't have technology in place, how do we manage all of that? If things are updating, hey, this great piece of content that we wrote last year, we can still use that, but hey, our new visual guidelines are—they're looking different, or our logo is—is is now different, but the story is the same. So, how can we leverage technology to refresh those things at scale? Is—is is one of the most interesting things that—that that I think you can also use the technology for, uh, both of the technologies that—that that at least we're engaged in, um, because old and outdated content does play uh, poses a, a pretty big risk, and particularly if you have a lot of employees that are still referring to that content, right? They might have had a successful conversation based off of some of that, so they'll continue to reuse that, might be outdated, might be using assets we're no longer entitled to. There can be so many things that are wrong with outdated content, where the, the story of the content might still be relevant, but all of the different assets and bricks and pieces of that content might have been refreshed. So managing that at scale and, and taking care of that is super crucial. And if you think about companies, so I think roughly 50% of the, of the, the companies that we talked to said we're actually holding back on refreshing our brand or updating our brand because that backward compatibility is just an insurmountable task. It's every single massive document, branded assets, pieces of content that you have online, pieces you have on your blog, pieces you have on LinkedIn. Everything has to be refreshed, and so that backward compatibility is holding your back on, on branding refresh. And, and Ed, you'll know this, you're a your CMO. The brand plays an enormous role in your in your growth and your positioning and and winning and working with customers.
1: Yeah, so we went through two yeah.
2: rebrands in the
1: last uh, five years.
2: Yeah, so so there you go. Right, you got to con- constantly keep up with customers, with the market. Uh, you know, things are changing ever dynamically in this in this world that we're in. So the amount of the amount yeah. of iterations that you have to be able to do uh, on your brand is just increasingly, uh, it's it's increasing rapidly. And so those that fail to leverage technology to manage their content will hold back on their brand, on their iterations, and they will fall behind, right? They will be obsolete brands. And so thinking about such a something that seems so minute to many people, like, oh, how do we update our blog posts? Or how do we get things to look right? It's it's actually, it holds everyone back from doing great, important projects, such as staying in tune with the market, staying in tune with customers. And ultimately, your brand dictates that. Yeah. And I saw, I was also really impressed
1: with the a third of those who responded said that had direct impact on revenue of the business. We've come a long way with content being a key
2: contributor to revenue. So I think take an example like Airbnb. What is their marketing spend? It's literally nothing. And so what Airbnb Airbnb is fundamentally just really good at, it is content, right? And it is making content relevant. It is making content feel close to the to the reader and to the audience. So content has a massive role, the brand plays a very big role. In today's consumers, I mean, consumers have a really big say today in what what brands are relevant and which aren't, right? And I know that there's also higher powers that are part of of managing that and, and dictating that. But at the end of the day, consumers have a really strong opinion. Social media can make opinions be really loud and, and be really impactful. So not taking care of the brand, not following up on, on on the market developments and, and where your consumers are going, um, that's going to be that's going to be challenging. Yeah, and and brand is a huge revenue driver. It is. I'm buying things because of the brand, not necessarily because I need it. But you know, so 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 brand does really dictate. It's also what sets you apart. I Had a great conversation with one of our other partners, Sullivan, the other day, Nicole Ferry from over there. Yeah. and we were talking about the the impact of the brand because it's particularly in B two B sales and B two B. Um. Uh, yeah, B two B business development. Getting through the door will ultimately really be driven by the, the power of your brand, right? If you if you work for Snowflake, if I am just appointed one of my one of our peers in in, in this whole tech world, if you work for Snowflake, yeah. they have a super strong brand; they're super recognizable. I'm not saying that their sales people aren't working hard and that they aren't good, but getting through the door, it's just, they're just recognized, right? And so, if you're a smaller tech company, or if you are Someone that doesn't have a brand that's really clear—it's just harder to break through the door. And so, it it does play a really big role in, in opening up your markets and, and and speaking to clients and them giving the time to to listen to you. But then, of course, you got to follow through with being relevant, right? And that's where content comes in. You got to have relevant content. You got to spend time and back to automation. You got to spend yeah. time understanding your clients, understanding who you're talking to or the problem that you're solving, and then be relevant because the amount of noise that's out there—it's incredible. Yeah. So you have to cut through that, and your brand will help you do that. But you making the effort and spending the time on the quality of, of what you're delivering in terms of your message and and your input, that's going to make the difference, and that's what's going to grow businesses. But the brand yeah. is equally important.
1: Absolutely, and staying power as well. You could you know maybe have some successes, but how long is that success going to last? You know, investments for future. Uh, so Peter, love the uh, love you dropping the cheat codes today um our conversations on um automation, uh the human aspects of uh human machine interactions, um, some of the hype around chat GPT, hype slash um terrifying you know, <laughs> you know, potential here, uh all for good though. And then uh love the research too. Uh like to always love some good research. Uh, how can folks uh, continue to stay in,
2: in touch with you? How can they follow you? Um, yes, yeah, so, I mean we have a re- we have a great content team that are all, that are pushing out uh, you know lovely pieces on, on how to leverage technology to manage content, how to to build your infrastructure, to you know design for longevity, design for backward compatibility, design for winning. So so there's a lot of a lot of that. You know, I, I'm on LinkedIn too. Uh, I'm not a big writer myself, but I do I do repost great things. I do highlight great things that are out there. I'm more of a talker, so maybe you, you, you learned that today, but um, um, yeah, so follow me on LinkedIn. I, you can reach me on my email uh, and our team is, is obviously always ready to to discuss anything content, building the right infrastructure, consulting with you all on driving automation and and those kind of
1: things. Awesome, great. Thanks for the cheat codes, Peter. Thanks for coming on the pod.
0: Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today for another episode of Marketing Cheat Codes. I want to thank our guests for their time and everyone out there in a primo land for listening. This episode was written, mixed, and produced by Glenn McManus. Our associate producer is Noah Horberg. Our production coordinator is Izzy Herbst. And our creative director is Sonny Okamoto. Our series is hosted by Ed Briald, And I'm your co-host, Sam Chapman. If you like what you're hearing, please rate us or review us everywhere you listen to podcasts and be sure to keep the conversation going by following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss or want to be a guest, head on over to the URL in the episode description and drop us a line. Until next time, thanks for listening.